Welcome to episode 136, Counseling Couples in Crisis, Perspectives and Interventions from Two Different Models, featuring Dr. James Hawkins, Licensed Professional Counselor, and Shane Burkle, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. Make sure to subscribe to be alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Hello to our listeners. Today we are having what I think is a very exciting panel conversation with two clinicians that are both expert couples therapists, but with very different models that they use. Um, I would like to introduce you to Dr. James Hawkins and also Shane Burkle, licensed marriage and family therapist. Dr. James Hawkins, he is a licensed professional counselor, and he's joining us from Northwest Arkansas, who is an expert in relational life therapy. And then I also have Shane Burkle here, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, who is an expert in relational therapy. And he is joining us from New Hampshire, and he's also the uh, host of the podcast Couples Therapist Couch. Thank you both so much for joining us, uh, James and Shane. Thanks for having us, Beth. So, James, why don't you start by telling us more about your background and how you came to be a certified EFT therapist and supervisor? Yeah, background. Wow, man, I've served in the military. I've delivered mail for the postal service. I've been a grief counselor in hospice. So that's a little bit of my background Then went into really just a passion for working with couples and meeting them in their distress. I don't know if that's kind of tied. I was a medic in the military, so it's really running into hard places with people where they're, where they're hurting and they're suffering really uh, is something that's close to my heart. Um, I remember being introduced to emotionally focused therapy in grad school and really enjoying it and really liking it and it making sense out of our inner world and how we navigate relationships with um, our partners or with with other people in the world. Um, that also flows over into the work I do in communities with, um, I don't even really like the term, but people usually understand it, racial reconciliation, that there are important conversations that need to be able to be had in society around so many things, not just racially, there's you know gender, sexual orientation, but many times we, we, we approach these as cognitive conversations, but we don't pay attention to the the very powerful emotions in the conversations. And that's usually sometimes what makes the conversations not go well, is that we fail to sometimes see the heart of people in these moments. And so now um, coming, I got invited by Sue Johnson to be a part of her EFT trainer team. And so that's what I'm working on now in life. That's really neat because I can hear as you're talking about it, kind of this overlap with all of your past work, the stepping Correct. stones, if you will. That's really neat. Yeah. And how about you, Shane? How did you fall into working with Terry Real and relational life therapy? Yeah, I think as starting off as a therapist, I, it became very clear to me that it's impossible to do work on yourself without understanding yourself in relationships. The two in, The two go hand in hand in my mind. And so uh, I think couples therapy was a very natural choice for me over time as I became a therapist and as I was working with people, I just felt like I could make so much more progress with people when I was doing couples therapy as opposed to individual therapy, even for their individual stuff that they had going on. And so um, I eventually found Terry Real uh, in relational life therapy, and it just really uh, resonated for me. I think it's a... There's a philosophical underpinning about understanding humans and how we see the world. And, you know, part of that is people's struggle with shame, people's struggle with self-love and compassion. And um, so I think that it just made a lot of sense to me. And so I've been um, training with Terry Real for quite a few years now. I'm a certified Terry Real therapist, and I'm really excited. He just asked me to be the teacher's assistant for the next uh, level one training that he's doing coming up here, um, which will be really exciting as well. That's awesome. Yeah. So for both of you, it was also kind of the values alignment with these models. For today, we're going to be talking about working with couples in the early stage of treatment that are coming in in distress. And let's be honest, most of the time when we work with couples in the early stage of treatment, they're coming in because something is really hurting them. So chances are they are in major emotional distress. Before we launch into the nitty gritty here, I would like for each of you to give just an overview of the model, kind of a refresher, an elevator speech about relational life therapy and emotionally focused therapy. So James, why don't you start and kind of give us the quick primer on what emotionally focused therapy is? 
Yeah, I'll steal from um, Sue's speech on this a little bit. You know, when you think about the theoretical foundations for EFT, it's like sitting down at a coffee table with John Bowlby, Carl Rogers, and Salvador Mnuchin. And they're all having this conversation about what motivates people in behavior, how to join people in their suffering, and how do we see the patterns of distress and how people navigate those within couple relationships, family relationships, and even, yes, individual. Because even Sue would say, even when you're with an individual, we are always interacting with the cast of characters that our clients carry around in our heads. And so when people hear attachment, though, we're not just talking about child attachment, that we are talking about adult attachment in EFT. And that really is built off the work of Phil, of Phil Shaver. And what that is saying is that in and, you know, even Bowlby said that attachment goes from the cradle to the grave. And what Philip Shaver finds with adult attachment is that in adult attachment relationships is not only are you care receiver like a child would be, but you are also caregiver. And that adults are even motivated. Just it, 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 that part of our human species and our evolving is that we always want to maintain close proximity with safe, trusted others. And when that proximity, anything becomes a block or a barrier to that proximity or we feel disconnection, it triggers our attachment system to re-seek either comfort and safety or reconnection with those safe, trusted others. But there are times when we can't move towards that in a very open and secure, vulnerable way. So then what people get stuck in is these patterns of insecure ways of attachment. And that's where either I feel my emotion, but I can't let you see it vulnerably. So I kind of hyperactivate and like raise this alarm signal to get you to come towards me. But I can't really trust that when you come towards me, that it'll be sufficient or that it'll stay. Or what I have to do is I turn my emotion and my needs down because I'm not quite sure how it will go or if you will want to see me uh, when I call for you. And so in EFT is usually with the 80% of the couples are what we get caught in pursue withdrawal patterns. And so they get into these cycles of what we, instead of moving towards their longings, they live out of this place of protection. And when we are in protection, we can't have intimate connection. So we want to go in and help find this cycle, break this cycle, Put, bring in those conversations that are missing, help them find vulnerability, and really be able to help these couples find bonds where they can really turn towards their lover, towards their partner, and look them in the eye and share what they need and be able to respond back. Because the key part that Sue says is the fundamental question in any relationship, regardless of ethnicity or gender orientation, is if I reach for you, will you be there for me? And if the answer to that is no, then the bond can't be trusted. And there's very good reasons why sometimes when someone can't respond. So EFT, we're always looking for what's breaking that bond to create a secure connection for the couple. You're very good at that elevator speech. <laughs> uh, my brain's trying to catch up for it or catch up with it. Um, if I reach for you, will you be there for me as being the foundational question that needs to be answered in order to have security in the relationship? Shane, moving into relational life therapy, what is the equivalent question? And then can you riff a little bit just like James did about what your your model, as I'll call it, what your model uh, believes about the way that couples interact? Absolutely. There's something that Terry Real says, I'll mess up the quote, but you'll get the idea. It's basically that there are a lot of um, teachers and therapy models that teach you how to have a good relationship or teach you the things that you need to have a good relationship. And relational life therapy works with the parts of you who won't use them. Uh, in other words, it might be sort of along the lines of what James was talking about as like attachment injuries, which we don't really use that language, but I think it's good language to use in understanding that when a person is in a relationship and they're struggling and they're having a hard time, they're not very conscious of the fact that that's happening. They're not very understanding of why of what's getting in the way of them having a close relationship with their partner. And so there are reasons for that. There are reasons from their childhood. There are reasons from previous relationships, from history with their partner, their current partner. All of these things play into it. And it creates um, these patterns that James was referring to as well. And so one of the, we, we call it the stance, stance, dance. Um, we want to find partner A stance, partner B stance, and the dance that it creates between the two of them. It's the, the, the pattern that's getting in the way of them having closer connection. And, but I think one of, the, one of the first things to understand is the, the, the primary goal of the first session of couples therapy is to get the couple to come back to the second session. And in order to do that, you have to connect with what they want. And so I think really tuning in 
to what each person wants and making sure that they feel like you understand it and um, are coming from an accepting, non-judgmental place and meet like, like maybe like James said, like meeting them where they're at. Um, that and then sort of giving like I think one of the most important things at the beginning is giving them an indication that I see you, I get where you're coming from, I understand you, because that's going to give them the hope that they need to do this very difficult work going forward. And I think a big part of relational life therapy is the shame uh, and grandiosity. When I feel like I'm not enough as a partner, it's very easy for most people to go into a state of shame and they don't even realize it. And what I mean by shame is like, I am less than as a human being. Uh, there's something wrong with me. Perhaps I'm unlovable. Perhaps no one will ever love me. And this isn't, like I said, this isn't a conscious process necessarily, but we all have reasons from growing up in our own specific families and communities and schools and whatever, where, but, and, the, and the culture at large, where that, we're, that we, we go to this place of shame, um, that we are made to believe like we're not enough. And that in order to uh, feel like I'm enough. I either have to perform well enough in the world or I have to convince you to love me so that I can feel like I'm enough and um, or, or be something in the world in order to prove myself. And so if my partner says, hey, did you take the trash out today? And I'm feeling like I'm in a very shame-based place at that moment, I might go into defensiveness. I might go into arguing. I might go into all sorts of things um, just from the question, even if it's not coming from a critical place. And so I have to have an understanding of myself. And I think this might be a little bit where relational life therapy differs from emotionally focused therapy. And I don't, I won't speak on that as an authority, but, um, I believe that in relational life therapy, we are focused on more on differentiation, what, what therapists call differentiation. We are focused more on helping the client take care of themselves and their behaviors and take responsibility for themselves in order before they meet their partner uh, to give each other the for the support and attachment that James was talking about as well. Yeah. Can I jump in on that real quick? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that because that is the difficulty in adult attachment relationships. That's different. He nailed it. You are always a caregiver and receiver at the same time. That's where it gets complicated. So how in my moments of distress do I honor where I'm at and where I am while also at the same time reaching out to you and where you are? And so when it comes into a place where it gets blocked in there, where I can't, if I can't access what's going on in me, then guess what that also blocks? It blocks my ability to empathize with you where you are. And if I'm drowning, I can't come towards you. And usually what clients or couples in the first earlier stages is just get my partner to stop doing the thing that bothers me. Right. And that's what they focus on. And they're not seeing themselves like if they would just stop that thing. But really, the, the part where I think is like we're almost saying the same thing. But the thing they're doing makes so much sense in their attachment context. How would you not do this? Life has taught you very good reasons to protect yourself. You no wonder the shame comes up. It makes so much good sense to me. But then when you're in that shame and you shut down and you withdraw and your partner's reaching for you, withdrawal is your way to find a little proximity and safety. But when you go for your safety, though, what happens for your partner? They feel alone because over there they're needing you. And so both of you end up feeling stuck and neither one of you are wrong for the things you're wanting. But we just can't. It's like, but we just get stuck in that place. We All we want the other person to do is stop what you're doing and do what I need you to do. And that just sucks for the both of you. And the cycle just whips you both and beats you down. Man, that sucks. And that usually can be not saying it changes it right away. But when they see that you see both of them and the good reasons why they do what they do and then in the context of their life story and all the social factors that make up who they are as a person and in their, his, their historical relationship history, then all of a sudden then it's like, hey, it's not that you are either of you are the bad guy. It just leaves you both whipped and it sucks and you both need each other. Wow. What is it like for you two in that place? And sometimes couple like, I never understood it that way. I always thought I was the enemy or my partner was the enemy. I didn't know that you were hurting and needing me. I thought I was the bad guy. Or I just, I never thought that you really cared about me. I thought when you shut down and went away, it's because I'm too much. I'm too needy. And I'm scared I'm going to lose you. <sighs> so I love what Shane is saying there. Yeah, and I, and I really love what you're saying. What, what you're describing as your stance as a therapist is giving them the opposite of shame a shame-based message. You are you are full of acceptance, full of compassion, 
Of course you do this. Of course you feel this. Anybody in your situation would feel like this. Well, well. so if we're talking about the first session, you know, one of the, the most important things uh, is for, for me is to differentiate between those emotions and the behaviors that are happening in the room. And so what we're talking about is the validation of emotions. I can even validate the behavior. Of course, that's the only way you've learned how to do this. James, the other thing I was thinking is I love the externalization of the of the problem, right? Because couples that come in feeling like they're fighting against each other. And we when we can externalize the pattern, we can help them feel like a team working on this together and they get stuck in this pattern that, that happens. Couples get confused about the emotions and the behaviors. They think I am justified to do this because, you know, if that guy cuts me off in traffic, I, I feel a whoosh of emotion and of course I'm going to yell that he's a jerk. Like, um, but there's a difference there. This is something that's really important for people to learn as human beings. There's a difference between the emotions that come up and the behavior that happens next. And I think that's one of the first things that that's going to happen in, in one of the first sessions in couples therapy with me is that I am going to, you know, people come in talking about the issues are finances or parenting or sex or whatever they think the problem is, whatever the topic at hand is. And I'm going to be, I'm much more interested in the behaviors that are playing out right in front of me and um, really bringing it into a state of mindfulness for them, bringing it, naming it, bringing it into the room and helping them feel more empowered that if we can be more aware of what behaviors are coming into this, you're, you're going to feel like it's, uh, that, that's the goal, not figuring out the finances or something like that. Got it. I, I appreciate both of you breaking that down. And Shane, I want to build on one of the things that you had said. You had mentioned teamwork and being a team. Will you both speak a bit about how relational life therapy and emotionally focused therapy see the role of the clinician? So over time, if we're looking at strategic therapy, for example, and the therapist is basically used as weight in the room to unsettle and then reorganize a family system, how do your respective models view your role? Is it psychoeducational? Do you become metaphorically part of the couple? How do you see yourself in relation to those people? I think that in relational life therapy, we very much see the therapist as a fellow traveler. I'm just a human being who ha deals with my own relationship struggles as well. And um, just a quick plug, I believe self as a therapist work is incredibly important for therapists, if not the most important thing, that I can only be present with couples to the extent that I've done my own emotional work for myself. Um, that being said, I think that there's a, a little bit of coaching. I, I think in relational life therapy, I, I don't think a lot of people have grown up in families where they've learned how to be in relationship in a healthy way. So I am at some point going to be coaching them. Um, but I also see that um, uh, I think that detachment from outcome uh, is almost like a spiritual principle for me as a relational life therapist, that I, I can help couples the most if I'm not getting sucked into the emotional pattern myself. So I am modeling differentiation as I'm working with the couples. I'm, I'm breathing, I'm staying present, and I am, um, but, but I'm also joining through the truth. I'm also not holding back. Whatever it is, you know, I think, t I think therapists often tiptoe around people's emotions uh, for good reason sometimes. Um, but what I mean by that is when there are these difficult behaviors coming into the room, you know, a lot of therapists have this perspective that I'm going to take, I'm going to spend the next three months building rapport and then I'll be able to tell them, you know, about the difficult behavior that's coming up here. And I'm going to be likely to bring that up in the first or second session where it's like, um, this is what is ruining your relationship. And would you like some help on changing that? And, and you can do that in a very loving, compassionate way. But um that's part that's part of the the role or the stance of a therapist in RLT. Yeah. Thank you. And how about for EFT James? 
Yeah, the role of the therapist in EFT is uh, one of my friends and mentors, Catherine Rain. She says, you know, we are process consultants. And what that means is, is we join you as a consultant in your relationship. We don't take it over. We take a very humanitarian, uh, a very humanistic uh, approach to it. And so we serve as consultants that we recognize in adult love relationships. We always want as a consultant, we want to stay with what we believe is motivating people. And that is the attachment system and these in the in really seeing the dynamic of their longing and their protection. And as a consultant, we walk with them to those places of protection because that's the place where they're showing us their need. But we also, as we sit with them in that place of protection and organize and help make sense of the different elements of the emotions, the behaviors, and the narratives that they formed in life, we also want them to help awaken and give voice to the longings of their heart. So that way they can, in that open, vulnerable, secure way, begin to say, I know you normally see this anger that comes out of me, and I know I get critical sometimes, and I'm so sorry. But what's underneath that criticism is really this fear of losing. And that that sounds like a simple phrase to roll off, but as a process consultant, you walk with them along that journey in the therapeutic process as a process consultant to keep just being curious and exploring with them as a, in a Bowlby terms, as that empathic, stronger, wiser other who is there with them. Like as, as Rogers would say, I have to see the humanity of the person that sits in front of me. And I think also with Sue, her big thing with us as EFT therapists is we help our clients assemble their experience with them, not just for them. We build it with them. And, and it really is an honoring way that we take as a therapist, as their process consultant. And then in the end, it's not what they did with me. It's like, look at what you two did here. Isn't this amazing of what you two did? Look at how this process normally comes in and beats you both. Look, look at what you two did today. You found each other. Man, that's amazing. We could go in so many different directions, just down these rabbit holes of what each of you are saying, because there's, I mean, you're condensing so much information about these models mm -hmm. and, and delivering this information in such a succinct way. So thank you for that, because we could just spend so much time talking about just this part of it and role of therapist. When couples come into therapy, according at least to the Gottman research, it's many years after they should have come in, quote unquote, in terms of when the foundational damage to the relationship had begun. And now the foundation has been pretty well eroded at the point that many couples are walking through your doors. Mm -hmm. How do you meet them there? I mean, I'm, I'm just imagining a couple, they come in and you know, they they are sitting as far apart from each other on a couch as humanly possible. And the body language is so clear. Nobody's making eye contact. There is certainly no touching. I'm curious for each of you in that very first moment where you have said hello and introduced yourself and said, have a seat. Let me tell you about the limits of confidentiality. And then let's talk. What do you do for that couple that won't even look at each other? James, why don't you start? No, I appreciate that. So in EFT, the one of the first things that we know you can't, like, if we say we're working with attachment, you can't then do something incongruent with that. So I want to form an alliance because in EFT, I want them to see me as a human being that's fully present with their full humanity. So I want to be able to find out about that person who makes up who they are. How do they want, how do they identify themselves from an ethnic or sexual orientation or gender point? I want to know about the things that motivate them in the world. Like what even brought them into this room? And so I want to form that alliance of just saying, um, I tell them my stance with therapy. Uh, my mentor once again told me, you know, James, be transparent, be transparent with your client. And so I tell them about my motivation for therapy and that I intend to be their process consultant with them to work on their relationship. And that many times is not even I would I'm gonna go with your scenario, Beth, as you say it. And I can even see the tension between you two right now on the sofa. It's like there's a part of you that's so far away. But I believe that you two would not have shown up out of your busy schedules and time and shown up here for a relationship that didn't mean anything to either one of you. So even while you, I can see the distance there, I want to tap into that motivation for you two, that there's something that you, these two human beings sitting in my office are hoping for. And I know as I do that, there are times I might make mistakes or I might miss you. But I want you to know my intent is to fight for both of you, to help the both of you get to that place that you're longing for and that you need. And sometimes that's hard because this is what makes couple therapy really hard, Beth, is that they both have different perspectives. And it's hard to hold both of those perspectives in the room at the same time because the very thing that one person is doing to make them safe is the other thing sometimes that, that irritates or makes the other person feel unsafe. 
And sometimes therapists can make the mistake and the ways that people protect themselves irritate therapists. But you need to see that their protection, like as Shane said a moment ago, it makes such such good sense when I learn that person's life story. So EFT is all about alliance, but we also do assessment things. And that's where it goes into Shane. We want to do an attachment history because I want to know how what has helped shape you as a person and how you've learned to dance in relationships, not only in your relationships, but then also as Shane said, intrapersonally. What do you even do with your own emotions? Because even if we remove this person from the room, we still, life has still taught us lessons on what we do with, in EFT, we're looking at three things, model of self, model of other, and your emotion regulation capacity. What do you do with your emotion? How do you see others? Are they safe? Are they not safe? How do you see yourself? Are you lovable or unlovable? And all of those affect the ways that you navigate yourself in relationship. So it's alliance and assessment. You had mentioned an attachment assessment. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it's different than a standard assessment that we might do with two individuals sitting in a room? Yeah, because it's almost like a little bit from the AAI, the adult attachment inventory. We don't let, for me personally, I don't let you write it down because it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, And so for just some basic ways of an EFT attachment history would be things like we're going to look at your family of origin in the written, uh, the directly expressed or unexpressed rules that they have around emotion. Is it okay for you to share? Or is it not okay? Are some emotions all right and others aren't? Yeah, we saw a lot of anger, but you couldn't share sadness. But then also we want to learn about what did you learn to in key critical moments of your life? Who would you go to and how would you let other people know that you needed them? Some kids, it's I couldn't. I would just go to my room and make this imaginary world because I didn't have anyone I could go to. Or for some kids, it was like, oh, man, I just remember my grandmother. Man, my grandmother just had this way. I knew if I shared with her, she wouldn't judge me. She would just say, it's okay, baby. Tell me about it. And she would say, those tears make so much sense. I love your tears. It's okay to cry those tears. And she would just hold me. And what I'm learning in that attachment history is can you read? Because there's two key elements to an adult attachment relationship. Can you send a signal? And can you respond to a signal? And if I, if a partner can't send a clear signal of their need for connection or comfort, that's a problem. And then also, if you can't respond to your client, your partner signal, then that's going to be a problem because that's going to break down the adult attachment system. So I want to learn, can they send signals? Can they respond to signals even within themselves? Got it. Thank you. And can you restate again, what were those three elements, model of self, model of other? And emotional regulation capacity. So what do you do with your emotion? Because we all have them as, as mammals. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And Shane, how about for you. So you take your seat and you have this couple that won't even look at each other. How do you handle that? Uh, if I'm sitting in the room as a relational life therapist, it's the first time I've met them. Um, I, I, I wouldn't so and, and here's where I will, James, correct me if I'm not saying this right, but I feel like James is making an assumption or EFT is making an assumption that they want their relationship to work. And they're probably right about that. But I'm not going into my approach with them from that assumption. I'm going, to, I'm going to start by asking them what they want. How can I help you? What do you want from me? And um, I'm going to say, I want to hear from each of you. I want to make sure I really take in and, and gain a deep understanding of what, you, what you're hoping for here. And, um, but if I have that couple sitting on opposite ends of the couch, I'm looking for leverage. One of the first things I'm looking for is leverage. Is there one partner who's saying, I want more than anything to save this relationship and I'm willing to do whatever I can? And is there one partner who's more of a foot out the door kind of, I'm not really sure, I'm tired of this, I don't know if I can continue anymore? Because that's really important for me about where where the conversation's going to go next. Because if I start, um, I don't know, if I I start going too, too hard into the... Um, the complaints of the person who's committed about the person who has a foot out the door, well, I'm going to lose them. That's what they've been hearing for forever, for the last five years, probably. And um, they're not going to come back to the next session. Now, if I have a sense that if the person, we need to take very seriously the person who has a foot out the door, I need to take very seriously their complaints though. And I know I have that other person in my back pocket. Because they're, they want the relationship to work more than anything. That's my leverage. So I have the ability to start with them and look at them and do some of the attunement, 
that James talks about to do some of the connection and say, oh my gosh, what is it like for you that your partner is bringing these things up and that they are going to leave their relationship if something doesn't change here? This sucks. I am so sorry. Mm. Um, This is, you've worked so hard. You've raised kids. You've finally got to this point in your life. And now you're, you're facing this reality that you could lose it all. Oh my gosh. I am so sorry. Um, And so that's me. I'm connecting with them, connecting with their emotions. I'm trying to tune into their emotions because I'm about to deliver some very harsh reality. It may not be that session. It may not be for another half hour, an hour, but I'm going to start with this, this um, tuning in. Like, I get it. I'm so sorry. I want this for you. I'm on your team. You deserve this. Would you like me to help you with this? Um, and, and getting that, getting some buy-in from them, uh, about the process. And all the while their partner's sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, finally someone is seeing that my partner's the problem. And, um, so they, even though I'm not talking to them yet, we'll get to them eventually. It could be three months from now, but, uh, hope, well, hopefully a lot sooner than that, but, um, but that I'm, I'm going to start where we need to start, uh, is often the case of how it plays out. One of the things that's really standing out to me, so just to show my cards for our listeners, I am not an expert in couples therapy. I have done quite a bit of family therapy. And so I can appreciate the balancing and this idea of of who you're joining with when and how you're doing so and how it's going to upset and change and not necessarily upset in a bad way, but how it's going to alter the balance in the room and how people are relating to each other. But as both of you are talking about this, I can feel like my heart kind of jump into my my neck and my throat because of the emotionality that you're bringing to it, the empathy that you're meeting immediately with these clients and being able to see that both of them are hurting. And so it's not basically get away from this one person because you you over here, person A, are the victimizer and B, you are the one being victimized. It's this both of you are are hurting because of this and this dynamic that's played out. And I can hear that very clearly in the overlap as you two talk about it. So I do want to say, I think Shane, like, so like me, like this is a good one. I like to teach therapists when I'm their supervisor. And I do want to say like, even in my, I did make an assumption in, like in Shane was saying, because we, in EFT, we do want to make sure in the early session is, do they have congruent goals? If they have incongruent goals then EFT does take a step back. And so if one partner's wanting in and one partner's wanting out, you slow the process down. For, but for good reasons for both parties. The person who wants in, I don't want them pleading and pouring their heart out for a person that might be on their way out. That wouldn't be fair to them. Nor do I want to put the person who's one foot out who has probably good reasons. I don't want them to feel like I keep putting them in the seat of being the bad guy and having to reiterate a message that feels like it's stabbing their partner over and over. But also, too, I think Shane and I would both say we're all, the victimizer part. EFT, there's a couple th- in the very basic way, in the first earlier sessions, we have to align that there is enough safety in the room to take vulnerable risk later. So in that place, we do want to make sure that it's emotionally and physically safe for couples in the earlier part. So if it is just controlling and manipulative for one person and they offer no vulnerability, and it's just stabbing and hurting the other partner, we will put a stop to that immediately because that's just not um, from a mental health part responsible at all. So I was actually going to ask that question next of how do you handle those situations? Because one of my observations in my own work as a family therapist, there's part of me that wants to see the dynamic because it's helping me with assessment and understanding what's happening. And then there's that invisible line that get, gets crossed where it goes from assessment to basically co-signing or observing active abuse. And mm. that it's so overt how do you handle that, especially in those early stages where there's part of you that wants to see this dynamic and then it's like, yeah, this dynamic just crossed the line. Whoa. So for EFT, we start off with one, usually the, the prescription usually follows one joint couple session, then two individual sessions. And part of the individual session is to assess for some elements of safety without the other partner present in the room. Now, then that, but that's one part in just one way. But then even when they are together, 
I do tell my clients at the beginning, one way I think we help them feel safe in the early part is be explicit with your process. So I tell my clients that I'm going to ask for a lot of vulnerability from you two in this room. And so what I have to do is I've got to protect you both because the idea of being vulnerable means to be open to wound. And so if I'm going to ask you to open that up, I've got to protect you both. So if one partner is in the process of sharing, you might disagree, but you don't get to interrupt that person. And also in your sharing, you don't get to, I want you to, you get to share about you, but you don't get to attack the other person. And what I will do is I know this might feel a little socially inappropriate, but just to make sure that you both get heard and that it's safe, I will jump in and interrupt. And that's not me trying to be rude, but actually it's for both of your protection. Because sometimes couples fire off daggers, like Shane said something, they don't even recognize the things they're doing. And some couples, they'll thank you. Thank you for stopping me. Because normally after I do that, I feel bad about it anyway. So thank you for jumping in and stopping me. That kept me from that shame spiral on the other side. So you interrupt them with your words. I'm curious, what do you do with your body? Do you find yourself, I mean, sometimes I kind of go time out or my arm goes down. Like, what do you do? Is there anything physically? And is there anything that EFT clinicians tend to do physically in that moment to try to interrupt that cycle that's playing out? As you see, I'm, you know, the, the listeners can't, but I, most EFT therapists will be in a rolling chair. So that gives us the ability to roll forward and backward and use our presence as an interruption. I'll try it verbally. Oh, excuse me. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I usually try and hold on, hold on. And I do like the, I kind of do my hand towards their knee or their leg without touching it, but just as a way of, hey, and most clients, if you start that and you set that precedence early, they get it. And the moment you even start your chair to rolling, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I did it again. But then it does come to a point where if they are really upregulated, I'll do things where I'll use my foot to bump their foot. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on here. Hold on, slow down, slow down, slow down for me. I grab, I'll, I'll, I will grab their shoe because now this is where we talk about social factors. I'm kind of a wider size black man <laughs> and that could be scary for some clients or if it's a female client, I'm very careful you know, and I'll touch their shoes like, hey, I'm sorry. And I'll just bump the shoe, like even if it's just the sole of their shoe to stay in a safe place. But if it gets really, really bad, I will put, go over and put my hand in between them. And I'll just like, we have to stop right here, right now. We have to. And with now people are like, yeah, that's in person. What about Zoom? I will do things like I'll, I'll, I'll move my hand toward the back of my hand, kind of to kind of like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down, mm, slow down, slow down, in front slow of down. The camera. Yeah. But I don't even do this part, like, because that can feel like, for some clients, they've gotten like that hand in the face during argument. So that's why I kind of like, wait, hold on a second. And I do something or I'll just like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'll throw my hands up like that. Like kind of people can't see what I'm doing. I just kind of put my hands out to the side of my head, shaking it towards the camera, but not like in a fist or open hand, like a smacking motion. Trying not to do that as much just to get their attention back to me. I was like, I need you to talk to me and not across to each other right now. And that's where I'm taking the stronger, wiser, other stance. Talk through me right now. As Shane would say, I'm the one that's kind of grounded and regulated here. Got it. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we landed there in you explaining physically how you hold yourself in the room. Shane, for you, when you're watching a couple that's going through this. Uh, same, some of the same things James said. I, 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 don't, I don't touch their shoe. I, I don't do something like that. But the lifting the hand up. Um, now you're making me think, James, maybe I should uh, be more considerate about how, how I put that hand up. Turn your hand around. Yeah. So for our listeners, what Shane is doing, and, and we can see each other on, on video, but so James was very intentionally turning his hand around and showing the back of his hand, not the front of his hand. So it wasn't like a slap or I'm covering up, covering up the camera. It was more um, nuanced than that. Yeah, and I really love that kind of stuff, to be considerate about that, to be thoughtful about people's experiences. But I don't know what you found, but when I, when I set up the rules, and I set up the rules with them, I, I, you know, usually it, couples will be saying, well, he's always doing this. And then the other person will say, well, he's always doing this. And it's like they're going back and forth. And I'll say something like, well, can we make an agreement that that's not something that's helpful to their relationship? Or I'll say, that's great. This, that's great. It sounds like you both agree that those kinds of behaviors aren't helpful. Um, but if I have to, sometimes I will explain what a boundary violation is. And I have a list of boundary violations. And um, I'll say boundary violations are emotionally abusive. They're verbally abusive. They're psychologically abusive. And what, the way I enter into that is also to say, we are all emotionally abusive at times. And I'll say something like, last night with my daughter, I got upset and I turned my back on her and I walked away really harshly. 
That was emotionally abusive for me to do to my daughter. And I want to acknowledge that. And I want to be real about that because it's not about being perfect. It's about being accountable. And so I want to help the two of you be accountable to yourselves in the situation because I know neither, I know both of you are good people and I know neither one of you want to hurt each other. And so when I see that coming into it, I'll bring it to your attention if that's all right with you. And who says no to that? If that's all right with you. <laughs> Uh, and, um, then I, so right up front, I'm asking for that permission. And then I have much less, much less of a hard time usually, um, ha- needing to control the session because they get used to me just interrupting them. They get used to me saying, whoa, 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 let's try this in a different way. I have a, I have a question for each of you pulling from examples that are respecting privacy. I'm curious, can you easily recall sessions where you've done that? And I'm really curious about the times where it hasn't worked. And do you end session? Has that ever happened? Do either how how do each of your models allow for that when the rails are really off? And again, coming from a family therapist perspective, I've totally had it go off the rails and the teenager goes, you know, flying down the stairs and out into the parking lot. And it's like, whoop. <laughs> How how do your models approach those really explosive things that even though you're doing the redirection and the correction, the attention getting to the thing, it is they're gone. Their limbic system is just flying, and their their emotional capacity at that point is nil. Yeah, I just go s- straight up compassion at that point. If they're still in the room, um, I I say you know em- well. We in, in RLT we talk about grandiosity versus shame. Um, the the energy of both is is um, contempt. If I'm going into shame, it's contempt for myself. I'm such an idiot. I'm a bad person. Mm. I'm messing things up here. If I'm going into grandiosity, it's contempt for someone else. You're such an idiot. You're the problem. You're uh, the the reason why nothing is working here. Um, and so it, it might look different. If someone's in grandiosity, it might look like they're yelling. It might look like they're attacking. It might look like that's where we need to really stop it. But once we have control of that, once we once we move that into uh, as long as no, you know, if someone's just struggling in the presence, then we can move into compassion and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. You're struggling, you know, whatever. If they leave the room, um, you know, that's their choice. And, and when they come back, I do my best to. Um, say something like, that was a really good decision that you made to leave the room because that's what you needed to do for yourself. Um, do you want to make that part of the plan for when things get too heated in here? Because that's, that, that's a really good thing that, that you might do to take care of yourself. And I want to understand you better uh, about how that works for you. So in that moment, you're actually really flipping the dialogue that may have existed otherwise that if that partner gets flooded leaves the room leaves a situation they may have previously been shamed shamed quote unquote by the other partner for abandonment but you're saying no this is actually this person's way of taking care of themselves and and that reframe um james how about for you for that couple that is that explosive that things just go off the rails yeah, yeah. And so hopefully, you know, even backing up a few steps, hopefully for an EFT therapist, if they're in a state of attunement, we're watching for those nonverbal cues of the escalation already coming. I'm watching for that toe tapping, the redness on the face, the like squeezing of the palm of the hands and watching that activation. And in that case, if I see it, maybe if I'm directly working with that partner. I'll make note and I'll be explicit with what I'm seeing happen. And I want them to talk it out. Can you, I kind of see your hand right now, even just balling up. Just, can you even say what is happening in that tension in your hand right now? Can we put words to that place? And most of the times what we know, even from like some of the work with Stephen Porges and things like that, when you do that and you attune to it, that, that emotional synchrony already brings some of it down. But I might be working with one partner and I see the other partner getting activated and I'm watching that and I'm noticing that. But I do have to keep my focus here because remember, it's safety. So if I'm working with someone and they're opening up and this partner's getting triggered, either I can make an I can say I see I see it and I can do a quick thing and I say, hold on one second. I just want to check. I see something happening for your partner. Hey, I realize I appreciate your patience right now as I'm working with your partner. And I can tell your body saying this is a lot for me to hold right now. Is it okay with you if I have about five more minutes here and I promise I'm coming to you and everything your body's feeling, I'm going to allow you to put it to words. But if it's too much, 
I promise I can kind of I'll come over here and bubble wrap your partner and come in and check over if your body just cannot hold that. Right. And I'll give one more thing before I turn it back over. It's so what I teach some therapists is that I use acronyms to remember things. And I got this from my friend. We work on a project together called Success and Vulnerability. Um, George Fowler came up with this term he calls terror. And terror is about how to handle reactivity in a session. And it is the first part. Is you got to take charge of the session. Even from the very beginning, just the example Shane gave, he gives like these rules of engagement, these boundaries. It's good to set that. That's safety. That's safety. That's, you know, that's what a good parent does for their child. There are boundaries. And the kid's like, oh, great. Mom knows where the boundaries are. Everything's good. Right. So be explicit. But then also explicitly explain your process to your clients. Let your clients know kind of what you're doing as you go through the therapy process. Hey, I'm kind of interested. I want to spend a few minutes over here, understand what's happening for your client. Then I promise I'm going to come over there and your intentions. But then when that if you're trying to do that and they interrupt, you restrain the interruption. You have to because one person's opening up and sharing and someone can interrupt and stop them. It's probably going to be a reproduction of the same cycle they get stuck in at home. And so they're like, why should I open up if the same thing happens here in therapy? And then what we say, the next R in that is regulate the emotion by matching the affect. So if somebody gets upset, don't be like, oh, no, oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, this is so. No, don't do that. If somebody's upset, like I was just working with a supervisee and the wife was up and it was great words that she was using. It's like other relationships matter more to me, matter more to him than to me. It's like he doesn't even know me. And the supervisor was doing her best. She's like, she didn't want to bring her back down. Like, yes, this is so sad. No, I said, you can't do that. Her body sending a signal that something's not okay. Make sure her body sees that you know that you got it. And so it might sound something like this. Woo, partner, A, I appreciate it. It's like, you're not even important. It's like, you don't know if your husband even knows you. And this is so hard for you. And your energy wants me to see that you don't want to get lost here. I see what your body's trying to tell me. Thank you so much. And and when you match that affect, even from just a human standpoint, they're like, oh, it's like you just held them. And they come back down sometimes. And then you organize it. Like, I see what your energy's trying to do. Your energy's trying to get me to see that you don't want to be lost here. But I got to do something here. I got to keep safety for both of We restore safety. I want to stay here. Your husband's opening up something so important, but I know that you want to be heard, but I got to finish up with him. Then I promise I'm going to come back to you. And that's and that what that does is that's a therapeutic moment in and of itself. And that we don't just contain reactivity. We use it as a part of the therapeutic process as well. What you're doing there, James, is you are you're intentional about why you're you're doing what you're doing. I think there are a lot of therapists who um, try to try to tell someone not to be angry to soothe their own anxiety as a therapist. And so what you're doing is you are showing a willingness to give them the acceptance that what you're feeling is valid, what you're, what you're experiencing makes sense in this moment. And you can only do that if you've done your own work as a human being. That's what I think I love about our similarities here is that both therapy models are saying, boldly go to where the distress is. Don't go the opposite way. Your clients are reacting for a reason. They need you to go show up there with them, not remain at a distance from it. One of the things that I heard and also saw, but I'm sure our listeners heard it too, James, when you went to really intervene with the imaginary couple um, that was really escalated, you leaned in and you could hear it in your mic. Like all of a sudden the mic got louder and that, no, it's, he just said, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's actually really cool because I think it's an example of what you were both just saying of not leaning away from the conflict, but leaning into it, of matching it, of meeting it. And, and going back to what both of you have said, which is you have to do your own work to be able to sit with that kind of emotional intensity, or else we're just replicating what has probably already occurred in that couple and in their attachment history. I, th- I think it instills a lot of hope in people because that's the detachment from outcome that I was talking about. That if 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 it was my wife sitting in front of me, I might not be able to lean in like that, not in the same way. <laughs> it could be too hard. But if it but if I'm somebody who's who is helping this couple with their relationship, and I can lean in, and I have that confidence, and I have that ability to say I'm here with you, I'm comfortable with what you're bringing. It's going to make give them a lot of hope about my ability to help them. And so the way I look at it is one of it's called the like the challenge response. So here's my vulnerability real quick. Leaning in was not my natural tendency. I want everything. I I got into couples therapy for I'll be honest, for the beautiful moments 
when things do finally get in the early part of session, it's not all beautiful. You have to deal with the rough, choppy seas before you're floating on the peacefully on the yacht with a pina colada, right? I got I'll admit, I got into this because I wanted those on the yacht pina colada moments with couples where it's like, whoa, I'm so sorry. I've missed you my whole life. I want to be there for you. I needed, I've always needed you. That's what I want. But my, my other tendency is I would be that therapist. So that self of the therapist, I recognize that movement in me by watching my tapes, watching my sessions, getting feedback. And I recognize that I actually have to lean in. So that challenge response. That challenge response, like the idea behind first responders and firefighters and military personnel is that running towards danger is not the, the, the natural thing that helped us to get to where we are as human beings. What helped us survive is going away from danger. <laughs> but what happens, what we find with first responders is what makes a firefighter go into a fire? Even though they know the risk and the danger, part of it is their training and preparation, but also what is, is they see the opportunity and the challenge. And what they know is there's human life that can be saved. And so it's the same thing with couple therapists. It feels like a, a, a paradox, but it's like actually going towards the reactivity actually helps calm our client. Going into the reactivity, meeting it and matching it and making sense of it and organizing it actually calms it. When you back away from it, the person's reacting because the, re the reactivity is saying there's something here that's not being heard or being seen. Right. So if I move away from it, I'm giving the opposite of what the reactivity is trying to get, which is to get a response. And so I wanted to embrace the challenge of it. So I had to teach myself that that was some of myself of the therapist work. Um, and now I didn't even realize it's so natural, even when I'm role playing, mm -hmm. that when I feel the anger come up, it's lean in towards the anger. Because I tell myself their anger is trying to say something beautiful, only if somebody will listen. Shane, you're nodding. What's your reaction to what James just said? Uh, yeah, no, I thought that was good. I don't I don't want to add anything else. That was the, I thought that was really good. Now, I do want to go to it because Shane did say something earlier. The behavior, though, might not be the best thing to get what their anger is needing. So but when you get angry and you shout and you say these things at your partner, what happened? They go away. But what you're really looking for, the anger is what? I just want him to know that our relationship is really important to me and I don't want to be lost. Do you tell him that at home in these conversations? No. And this is where EFT gets is. I don't know. But this is it is experiential. Well, how about right here, right now? Could you turn towards your husband and say, I know when I get angry, I shout and I say these things that hurt you. But what's going on in that anger is I just love you so much and I don't want to be lost. Could you share that with him? Because now that's supplying the missing conversation that they normally don't have. That's what we, in EFT, we're always working towards what we call, I like how Sue says it, these titrated experiences of corrective emotional, titrated amounts of corrective emotional experiences. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've always appreciated about EFT is that it's like there those two levels of work and you're talking about that leaning into that level that we typically run away from and not just we as therapists, but human beings, we tend to be relatively conflict avoidant because conflict could mean lack of safety. <laughs> so it's I, I appreciate that both models, what you're saying, are going to that and then trying to pull out the elements of wisdom and beauty that exist to illuminate them for the other person. So it's not, oh, he's just attacking you, partner A, and then partner B says, you know, well, that's just what he does. But it's also understanding, well, here's where that attack is coming from so that partner B has more information and frame of reference to soothe their partner and hear that message. We could have a whole nother conversation about this. And I'm looking at I mean, we could keep going for a very long time. I'm I'm looking at the clock and aware of the time with this. In this interview, we've talked about not only how EFT and uh, RLTC these initial sessions, but also kind of what you're assessing for, and then some of these really foundational interventions and how you're using your words to line up with a model and also even using your body to interrupt the uh, cycles that are happening with couples. Before we wrap up, what are some other pieces that through the lens of your model, you're thinking, and this thing, don't forget about this. Um, Shane, is there anything for you that comes to mind? That's a good question. Yeah, because yeah, we, we're just scratching the surface here, I think. Um, one of the things that that I will add, you know, in RLT, we 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 try, we try, it's not always possible, but we do a lot of family of origin work. Um, a lot of Terry Reel's work, relational life therapy is based on the work of PM Melody, which is about healing our core issues. We do a lot of inner child work, 
when possible. So we do a lot of deep sort of trauma, inner child work with one partner in the in the presence of the other. Um, and so that becomes part of the story that very much becomes, you know, like part of what we can go to when like when James was just talking about, you know, you if you see an angry presentation and you want to bring up the fact that that's not working for their partner, you know, to to validate, to meet that and say, of course, you're getting angry. Of course, you're yelling. That's all you saw growing up in your family. That's that's what you experience day in and day out. Like like once you know that story, once you have that piece of it, you know, adding that level to it because it's so validating for them. <clears throat> and then to bring in the the next piece, which is the behavior change, which which is and what's it like for you to realize how much that isn't working for your partner? How much this is creating exactly what you don't want in the relationship? And can we talk about making a plan to do this in a different way? How can you express what you need to express that's going on for you um, in a way that does work for your partner? So it's it's very much, I, I think, you know, the more that I talk to James and other people in EFT, the more I see so many similarities, so, so many more similarities than differences, really. And um, so it's, it's always exciting to have these conversations and... Um, uh, yeah, thank you, James, for for uh, sitting and talking about this. It's it's just I'm really grateful for the opportunity. James, how about for you? Like, what are those last pieces where you're like, oh, and you have a couple that's highly in distress. Forget, you know, don't forget this piece. The, yeah, I think, and it is the missing piece that happens in a lot in our society, and that is the validation of their longings and their protection, and that say, you know what, that part of you, that longing, that need, that feeling, it makes so much sense, because in an attachment frame, it's that's your desire for comfort and for connection, and to know where you stand with the person you love. But also, when you don't know if you can trust that or things it hasn't gone well, the way in which you protect yourself, the attachment function of that, it makes so much sense. You shut down and avoid as a way of getting some distance to let things die down so it's not so heated, so your relationship doesn't blow up. But when you go away, people think that you don't care. But when it's really the opposite of the truth, you really do care a lot or you kind of it sounds like you're blaming and you're critical. But that's just because it's so hard to let people see your vulnerability and your weakness, because at times you've been criticized for having these needs and you've been told you too much. So blaming and criticism is just a little bit of a safer way to hopefully poke your partner in a way that might make them change and that you be connected with. And so that validation is so big because when couples are in distress, it's so hard to validate those moments. Couples get stuck in trying to build their case and get their own safety. So when we're able to do that validation of their longings and their protection, it's amazing what happens for people when that peace comes in. Thank you both. This has been very powerful and insightful. And we've we've covered, in my mind, so much depth. Um, Shane, can you tell our listeners if they want to learn more about Terry Real, about relational life therapy, how do they do that? And also if they want to learn more about you and your work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the easiest place to start is just go to Terry Real's website. Uh, if you if you Google Terry Real or relational life therapy, it'll come up. And um, uh, there, he does a lot of trainings. Um, he's written uh, several books that, you know, I would highly recommend people listen to the audio program called Fierce Intimacy. I think that's a really good place to start just as a foundation for understanding relational life therapy. And um, if you want to find out more about me, you can go to um, CouplesTherapistCouch.com. And I have a podcast called The Couples Therapist Couch, which, which is all about the practice of couples therapy. So if you want to learn more, I've interviewed a lot of different types of therapists about different aspects of couples therapy. And um, yeah, I think that that's how you can find me. Wonderful. And how about you, James? Well, I do got like, a, this is, I, I really believe in attachment. I think Shane for what he does with the couple's couch and the community he's created and how therapists do need this exposure. I think we need community. I think Shane does a great job providing community for therapists to process. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for letting me be a guest on your show before. Yeah. Everyone should definitely check out that episode with James too. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. So again, Couples Therapist yeah. Couch. Shane Brickle is a host and he interviews just a host of particularly couples therapists, mm -hmm. but therapists in general about their work. And I think it is a real service to the community. So thank you to both of you for being involved in that.
So I would say like for uh, on this side, uh, of course, you can go to um, I, you can go to ICEF.com to learn more about EFT, different EFT trainings, different EFT materials. One of Sue's foundational books is Hold Me Tight, which is like a, a, a lay version of EFT. And I even got to participate with Sue. She wanted to update the curriculum for the online version of the Hold Me Tight program. And so I actually interview a real live couple that goes through some what we call these bonding conversations. So if you want to do the online Hold me tight um, with Sue Johnson. Um, I also work on a project called Success and Vulnerability. You can find us at successandvulnerability.com. And that's me and a couple other trainers and EFT therapists who are really breaking down the micro moves of EFT to help clinicians learn uh, some of those parts that are really hard to install in couples therapy. I also do a podcast with my partner, uh, 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 my partner in the, my practice, uh, Ryan Reyna, and it's called The Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Couples Therapy. Or if you would like supervision with me or whatever a speaking engagement, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at, at DocHawkLPC. Wonderful. Thank you both. This has been such a powerful conversation. I certainly hope we can do part two of this because I think there's just so much here to talk about. And you offer both such clarity in your work and your passion for working with couples and your particular models. But also, I think there was so much here that was relevant to any therapist, regardless of whether they're working with couples, just so many pieces of information that I think were really valuable. So thank you both. We're really grateful for your time. Thanks, Beth. Thanks. Thanks again, James. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Shane. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.